Talk to us now and go to the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. You're with Brian McLean and Steve Hook and State of the Nation on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, welcome back to State of the Nation. This is the second hour of the program. This is a live broadcast right here at today's News Talk, TNT. Be sure and visit us on the web, tntradio.live is the website. You can find anything that you've missed up there. We have an amazing, amazing, really well done episodes archive up there. It really, I mean... Uh, my hat is off to today's news talk. Uh, it's really amazing how fast the um, the recordings go up, the live stream available 24-7 via our website or via the TNT app, which I highly recommend you get. Uh, so many ways that you can keep in touch with us here at today's news talk. And State of the Nation is proud to rep TNT. Uh, we had an amazing first hour there. Steve Hook, my co-host and myself, we had great conversations. So if you did miss any of that, you're just tuning in. You can always find it in the episodes link and do us a favor uh, be sure and follow tnt on the social medias we really need your help with that so get on over to x.com um, all the video streaming platforms we are live right now on youtube odyssey rumble so be sure and follow us over there and follow steve and i on x also we're getting more active on x.com you can find me at hesher media you can find steve at right hook 1776 now steve I got to jump in on this one, man. Uh, this is just, uh, I don't know. Um, just going to read the headline. This is the news. Nude deep fake images of Taylor Swift went viral on X. Now, this has sparked some outrage. So they're non-consensual, sexually explicit deep fakes. All right. How's that for a, uh, a long descriptor of what uh, Swift and the Swifties are up to. This went viral on Wednesday, amassing over 27 million views and more than 260,000 likes in 19 hours before the account that posted the images was suspended. So these deep fakes portraying Swift nude and in sexual scenarios continue to proliferate on X. Certainly people were downloading them, you know, some of those 27 million views downloaded them, copied them, whatever. Uh, reposts of the viral deep fake all over the place and Steve it's frightening because these images can be generated with AI tools that develop entirely new fake images or they can be cre be created by taking a real image and undressing it with AI tools can you imagine Steve uh, it, it, this is a the, the power to create deep fakes is something that I think is um, finally coming to light I've been warning about it for years with my colleagues, but you know, now that it's hit Taylor Swift and the Swifties, uh, the White House was even talking about it. I was watching the uh, press conference this morning with KGP, as I announced earlier in the program, I took that bullet for you, so you don't have to watch it. But uh, even she was asked about this, what's, what's to be done? And of course, you know KGP's response. You know what she's going to say. Oh, we're working on it. We're working on it. And we're probably going to need some more money and some more legislation, you know, that yeah. kind of stuff. But yeah, need, when it comes right down to it, Steve, the scary thing to me is this is happening to kids in school. This is happening to people that are being targeted in their place of employment. Uh, this is a this is a weapon in the tool of cancel culture. And um, a lot of these people, normal people, sandwich eating people that have this uh, happen to them, 
they don't have billions and billions of dollars and armies of lawyers like Taylor Swift. That, well, yeah, that's true. And this is the AI, um, that, you know, I, I, I kind of, first of all, KJP, of course, is going to say we need a blue ribbon panel. We need more money. Yeah. What we need to do really in order to tackle this is we need to grow the size of government. That's what we need to do. So you knew that was coming. But I, I look at this from the perspective of any uh, extraterrestrial life that may be passing over thinking, uh-oh, now they've they've harnessed the power of AI. What are they using it for? Oh, look, <laughs> Taylor Swift nudes. I mean, <laughs> here we are. We've got this, uh, this incredible new quote-unquote tool at our disposal, and the first thing that the horn dogs on planet Earth do it with it is take the biggest pop star in the world and start putting her in compromising artificially intelligence, uh, you know, scenarios. I, I will say this, uh, joking aside, I was happy to see that Taylor Swift went after this legally, uh, because whether you like Taylor Swift or I could name maybe three of her songs. I don't know much about the girl other than she's the biggest thing since sliced bread. But if you get somebody's biggest Taylor Swift cracking down on this, and then you get KJP or anybody at the white house or in the government acknowledging it, then maybe just maybe they'll move to, uh, to keep this from happening to the everyday sandwich eating Americans, as you refer to them. And, and, you know, so I was happy to see her litigate this, but it's not going to stop. It's going to proliferate, proliferate, can't even say the word. It's going to continue is what I'm trying to yeah. say. And Taylor Swift is a very attractive woman. She's the biggest thing in the world. If you, if you are, uh, uh, if you can generate these kinds of images, you know, you're going to get massive hits and you're going to continue to do it. And that's, what's going to happen. And, you know, this is a, this is desperately trying to close Pandora's box uh, when, uh, you know, it's already wide open. Yeah, absolutely. And as noted in this article, I'm reading about it. Most human beings don't have millions of fans who will go to bat for them if they've been victimized. That was uh, exactly noted by one of her lawyers, I think. Yeah, so even those platforms that do have deep fake policies, they're not great at enforcing them. And, uh, you know, um, not if, if you're you take, getting hits. Not yeah, if you're getting and he hits. takes this. Right, exactly. And you take the salacious nature, sexual nature of this out of it and look at it from an Internet perspective. I was speaking with Jay Dyer last night on a live stream, and he pointed out this term undermining the Internet. And that that refers to an Internet that is packed with bots, algorithms and fakeness to create a, a zeitgeist that does not represent the human beings that are actually you know, um, on the other side of those in and outputs. Yeah, you're right. You know what I'm thinking, Hash, real quick, if I just had this. Somebody should do an AI fake of Taylor Swift, uh, you know, cracking some mathematical code. Or here's Taylor Swift sitting down playing chess against a grandmaster. You see, those kinds of AI images never come up. It's always yeah. it's always something salacious. So, uh, you know, sex sells. What can you say? Yeah. And unfortunately, AI is now the only chess grandmaster. Hey, do you have a suggestion for a possible guest or host that you would like to hear on TNT? Or perhaps you feel you know, maybe we have a topic that you'd like to hear us discuss. We'd love to hear from you. As I said earlier, you can find Steve and I on x.com. You can find TNT on x.com and all the socials. All you got to do is go to our website, complete the suggestion form on the TNT website and help us make a difference right here at TNT. It's the stuff. What citizen wouldn't want to make American great again? People are talking about. Vilifying MAGO if it's not going to work. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right. We've been talking about unions a lot here at State of the Nation. It's an important topic. What's the real agenda of teachers unions? 
uh, today, that's what we're going to look at. What is the agenda here in the United States? They certainly collect a large sum of money from their members nationwide, my goodness. Um, certainly, they must use that money for enhancing education, improving classrooms, helping teachers, create an uh, appropriate work environment as educators, right? Promote, promote thriving for teachers and students, right? You can probably tell I'm being somewhat hyperbolic and sarcastic, as I sometimes do, but um, that's because we already know that 94% of the political donations go to Democrats, that Democrats want to raise taxes at every turn. They want to add more indoctrination and more social justice to further the agenda of globalist designs in opposition to traditional American systems and values. Now, we're going to be joined by the CEO of Freedom Foundation to discuss this. Uh, Aaron With, welcome to State of the Nation. It's great to have you with us. Now, you've got a lot of background in this, so break this down for us. What's going on with the teachers' unions? Brian and Steve, thanks for having me on. Yeah, the teachers' unions, as you both know, they're the most radical liberal candidate, uh, both radical liberal funders uh, in America. They're giving literally hundreds of millions of dollars uh, to political candidates and causes to go and pursue uh, their political agenda. We saw over COVID that came uh, that turned into shutting down schools, but it also was Black Lives Matter. It was also um, now it's turned into pro Hamas uh, stances. I mean. Bottom line is the teachers unions, they want to turn America into a, a into a socialist country uh, and there'll never be policies and candidates uh, that are far enough left for them. Joe Biden took uh, at least $76 million in campaign funds from the National Education Association. And what we've seen this week is there is a, a small uh, wing of the National Education Association that now wants him uh, to pull support uh, from Israel uh, so that they can concentrate on being uh, more pro-Hamas. And they've gone one step further to say, if he doesn't do this, uh, then we should yank his union endorsement um, because they, I, I guess they would find somebody more radical. I'm not quite sure. It doesn't seem like we're going to pull the endorsement of you and we're going to give it to who, Trump. I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, we were, uh, you know, we were talking off air uh before you came, I, actually, a couple hours ago, Aaron uh, Hesher and I were talking off. And one thing that you always hear is that the teachers, uh, some of them will say, well, listen, I don't support all this stuff. You won't see this in my classroom. We don't do this stuff. And I don't, you know, I have nothing to say about our union, blah, blah, blah. But boy, howdy, if you dare threaten the union, then all those same teachers that say that they don't support any of this woke crap immediately rise up and say, well, our union's the best. So what is it? If the union is not really supporting the, the, the positions of the teachers and the teachers don't really support the positions of the unions, then, th then what's going on? They're just using well, this as a slush fund for, for politicians. Bingo. You hit the nail on the head. The problem is with the with the teachers unions and the teachers, most of them, they're not political people. My wife was a public school teacher uh, up until last year. Uh, most teachers that we interacted with, they weren't into politics. Uh, they certainly wouldn't support uh, pro-Hamas sentiment coming from the teachers' unions. But the problem is they're still paying union dues. And they have no idea the amounts of money that the teachers' unions are taking from their paycheck and putting into political causes and candidates. And the stances uh, that, that that is buying them. I mean, take the National Education Association for an example. In 2021, they spent just 7.5% of their dollars on what they call representational activities. 
Over 50% of it is going towards uh, political gifts, to gifts to uh, nonprofits, liberal nonprofits, and the rest of it's going towards their own administrative uh, in the in the union. I mean, they don't care about representing teachers. What they care about is advancing a political agenda, which is in its by its nature uh, socialist. They want this to be a government-run country, and they want to turn back capitalism. Aaron, um, let's let's. I got to stop you there. Liberal nonprofits. Okay, is this not a perfect example of these unions? shooting themselves in the foot, obviously because they value CRT, DEI, or maybe just keeping their mouths shut and keeping their jobs. We'll, we'll talk about that if we have time. But when I think about all their hard-earned money collectively going to the DNC, who, by the way, were laundering money uh, through FTX scams and Ukraine and all that. I mean, we could go down rabbit holes there. But going money going to liberal nonprofits Many of these nonprofits are the same nonprofits that are proliferating the border problem and flooding their own schools with with ESL students and you know who knows what else. I mean, not just like like Spanish speaking, right? Like it was one thing when ESL meant we have a Spanish speaking population here, but now it's like 180 different countries worth of people coming through the southern border. So that's just one example of many. You could probably give us another handful of how uh, the kind of things that teachers' money is being siphoned off to support initiatives that actually hurt our schools and hurt our teachers. Yeah, and, and COVID showed us exactly that, right? I mean, they, they literally were advocating for keeping kids out of schools that was doing far more damage to their uh, mental health uh, than it and their education uh, than it ever did to them. Uh, than COVID ever did to them. Uh, and what's what's ironic about the left and the teachers unions is that they claim that the right is full of dark money and uh, they're taking money from billionaires and uh, blah, 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 all the rest of it. But really what's happening is these teachers are far worse than, these teachers unions are far worse than that. They're taking money from your everyday teacher and putting it into stuff that has nothing to do with the classrooms and everything to do with their political agenda. And that's why we at the Freedom Foundation, we run a full-scale education campaign to get these teachers out of the unions, put that money back in their pockets, and stop it going to radical left-wing causes. Uh, because if we don't do this, then our country is going to continue to go further and further to the left until there's no turning back. We're damn close to being there right now, aren't we? I mean, by the looks of it, we see what's going on in higher education. Goodness gracious. I mean, it's just uh, it's uh, one anti-Semitic uh, cesspool after the other, especially in the Ivy League schools. So, I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know if I could uh, as a parent. I've, I've got my kids are adults now, but I would be worried sick sending them to uh, some of these colleges and universities, not to mention the public schools. But. Do you think that there is, I know at the Freedom Foundation, you guys promote, a lot of teachers may not even know this, uh, Aaron, so maybe you can shed some more light on this, but you don't have to be a member of a union to work at a school in your particular state, do you? Or or how do you bag out of that? 
Yeah, that's right, Steve. So uh, since uh, 2018, teachers and in fact, every public employee in America has the ability to opt out of their union and stop paying union dues. So we our goal is to tell every public employee in America about this. Uh, we run digital marketing campaigns. We do uh, we go to their homes, we go to their offices, we send them emails and mail pieces and all the rest of it. So if any public employee is listening today and wants out of their union, go to optouttoday.com. We have all the resources there to help every public employee in America to get that money back in their pockets and out of the union's radical political agenda. So thank you for uh, teeing that up, Steve. Absolutely. Yeah. And I want to I want to shout out your website, freedomfoundation.com. You can follow Aaron at Aaron Wythe. That's W-I-T-H-E uh, with, uh, sorry, at um, and at Freedom F-D-T-N. Those are the uh, X.com accounts you want to follow and the website. Um, Aaron with, thank you so much for joining us. You know, you've got a great um, set of tools there over there. Your public information campaign at the website is excellent. So we really want to recommend you educators out there, get out and get familiar with the site. If you're not there already, follow Aaron on Twitter and Aaron, we'll have you back here on state of the nation real soon. Thank you for your time today. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. All right. This is state of the nation on today's news talk. TNT. TNT. Sonia Porton. You feel the need to describe yourself along with being a useless eater, free speech isn't a phobia, as a male with a penis. Why would you feel the need to describe yourself as such? Well, you never know these days, do you? Anyone can have a penis, apparently, so just thought you better make sure everybody knows. And that, and that is the reality, isn't it? Words have lost all meaning. And one of the things that I wanted you to come on and come and join me about and comment about is the whole issue of gender and transgenderism. Are you cis, Jack? No. There's no such thing. There was, there was literally no such thing until a couple of years ago. And it's, it's their religion. It's not mine. And I refuse to get involved with this sort of terminology. It's ridiculous. Sonia Poulton on today's News Talk TNT. A better business tip from TNT Radio. One reason people tune in to TNT Radio is often because they're loyal to a specific show or personality. Our personalities have been a part of people's daily routine, and people continue to tune in. They trust TNT Radio and are highly engaged with the content. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. The Net Zero Con will leave millions of citizens dependent on state handouts. It isn't a theory. It's an agenda. There is no climate emergency. On air 24-7, this is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, welcome back to State of the Nation. We're very happy to welcome our next guest. He's the founder of the Crime Prevention Research Center. He's also author of many great books. Uh, he's a proponent of the Second Amendment. Of course, the book that probably put him on the map is uh, More Guns, Less Crime. But we love to have him on. And I've, I don't think we've had him on together, Hesher, but it sure is good to have him on today. We're talking about John Lott. John Lott, hello, sir. Welcome to State of the Nation. How are you today, sir? Doing great. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, well, we're very happy to have you on, John. And I, we, we, I, I love your research. I, I follow you on all the socials. Uh, and, and keep up with what's going on. And I'm curious as to what your take on this is. Let me just give you the the uh, the, the, the situation we find ourselves in these days. Uh, we find ourselves in a situation where violent criminals are being coddled. 
uh, and being uh, basically a revolving door criminal justice system with uh, with our own homegrown violent uh, criminals. Then we've got a, a, a basically a red carpet welcome mat rolled out on our southern border. And then we're being told by blue state governor after blue state governor, including our own White House, that guns are bad and we need to take your guns away from you. So we're going to flood the street with cr- criminals. We're going to flood the open border with criminals. And by God, you're a criminal if you own a gun. Have I got that about right? Right. Well, I mean, there's a certain consistency in uh, in their madness there. Uh, they don't want to make it risky for criminals to commit crime in terms of law enforcement. And they don't want to make it risky for criminals to commit crime in terms of having to worry about the victims being able to go and defend themselves. So you've seen over the last few years, you've seen uh, district attorneys, uh, many Soros district attorneys refusing to prosecute violent criminals. Uh, you've seen cuts in police budgets. Uh, you saw for a while uh, liberal judges uh, releasing in many urban areas half or even two thirds of the inmates from local jails. At least that has ended uh, over the last uh, uh, year and a half or more now. Uh, and you've seen bail reform. Uh, you know, individuals have seen that they can't always depend upon law enforcement uh, to defend themselves. And so you saw a big increase in gun ownership. But, you know, the Biden administration is doing everything it can. It's put thousands of gun dealers out of business uh, simply uh, for what they call their zero tolerance policy. Whereas if you make one tiny paperwork mistake, no matter how trivial, no matter how inconsequential, uh, they're going to uh, put you out of business. Uh, there was one case I was reading about a little while ago where you had a, a licensed dealer in northern Texas uh, uh, 15 and 16 years ago. He had made tiny paperwork mistakes. So basically, the guy had dyslexia, had, had uh, transposed two letters uh, uh, once in each of the two forms. And, uh, you know, it was even the Obama administration had looked at it, said that these are trivial things, had fined him and closed the books. He's made no other mistakes in the last 15 years, but the Biden administration, unable to find any paperwork mistakes in the last 15 years, reopened those two cases that the Obama administration had closed and uh, are used those to take away his license so he can't sell guns anymore. Um, you know, so uh, it's, and of course, that's only part of what they're doing. They're putting pressure on financial institutions not to go and do business uh, with uh, firearms related companies. Uh, you know, you could, they're workarounds, but they're costly. Uh, and, and that will also force uh, companies to go out of business. Yeah, it's um, it's been really depressing to see that, you know, that this just incessant crackdown, you know, the ATF, I mean, my goodness, we had to go to great lengths uh, last year to stop the ATF from redefining what a pistol brace means on on an AR platform with a shorter than 16 inch barrel that that was, sir, was that not an attempt to take a, at a minimum 40 million Americans who have bought that product legally and have it on one of their pistols? Um, to turn them into, you know, overnight felons. I mean, and and there was also a honey trap involvement there too. They started telling people, hey, send us your picture, your fingerprint, basically go through the whole SBR process and and we'll we'll sort of, you know, 
put you at the top of the list. I mean, you know, and, and luckily, um, because of Gun Owners of America, you know, Firearm Policy Coalition and and others, um, they were able to get an injunction on that. But that's still sort of at hand here, right? Well, I mean, it's still going through the courts. I, I don't think there are 40 million people that have pistol braces. But look, uh, you know, uh, the Biden administration wants to go and argue that somehow these pistol braces uh, make these guns a lot more dangerous, uh, you know, and and they point to a mass public shooting in Boulder, Colorado. Uh, but as far as I can tell, they've made no argument that the pistol brace on the gun made any difference in that attack. Look, the whole point of pistol braces is they were designed uh, originally for military veterans who may have uh, be partially paralyzed in their hand or have lost part of their hand uh, because of their military service uh, so that they could hold on to the pistol and and hold on to it despite the recoil that was there. It was basically people who are crippled in some way uh, who benefit from having a, a strap. Really, it's just a strap that fits around their arm that allows them to hold on to the gun uh, when they have to deal with the recoil there. And so, you know, you'd like to think that there'd be some type of cost benefit calculation uh, that the Biden administration did, but they didn't do anything. You'd like to think they would go and say, well, uh, how is this going to make it so that law-abiding uh, disabled people are going to are, are not going to be able to go and defend themselves? How many of those are going to be even more likely victims of violent crime because disabled people do tend to be targets for crime? Uh, and how many mass public shootings is this going to stop? And there was there was no no discussion there and as far as i know they're not a lot of disabled people that were going out and committing crimes so you know all, all they did was they they point to mass public shooting they'd say uh that that's sufficient to go and cause them to want to go and ban these things and and no no discussion at all about the costs uh in terms of safety of uh of their proposed ban yeah John, um, we're going to take a real quick headline break, but when we get back, I want to talk to you about something that they always avoid. They always avoid mental health issues. That's that 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 is that's like Voldemort. You, that you you shall not mention that. We're going to talk about guns. We're going to talk about pistol braces. We're going to talk about uh, specific rounds of ammunition. But by God, don't you dare go and start talking about mental health because uh, that's a no go zone. Our guest is John Lott. We'll return with that subject and more as we continue State of the Nation right after this headline. Now, TNT Radio News. You are completely obsessed with breaking news. For TNT, this is James O'Neill. Texas Governor Greg Abbott announced on Thursday his intention to increase the amount of razor wire along the U.S.-Mexico border. Lawyers representing former President Donald Trump have filed a motion to disqualify Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis from overseeing his Georgia election case. A report by Citizens Advice, a U.K.-based state-funded organization, reveals that since November, more than 1.4 million people in the U.K. have lost access to the energy grid, mainly due to financial difficulties in paying their bills. Why not give TNT Radio a follow? We're on all major social platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time right here on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. TNT Radio. Okay, welcome back to State of the Nation. Our guest is John Lott. He's the founder of the Crime Prevention Research Center. 
a strong Second Amendment advocate, and of course, author of many great yeah, books. I'm on a that researcher. Really I, I, a you know, I don't, I don't, I don't do this because I'm an advocate for the Second Amendment. I don't, you know, if you read my work, I never talk about the Second Amendment. Uh, that's not what interests me. What interests me is what makes people safer. That's the there bottom you go. line. There you go. Well. Okay, and that's that's a great jumping off point about what I was talking about before we went to the headline. Why is it that um, <laughs> certain people of a certain political uh, uh, bend will never address mental health issues? Because you know, John, and you do you got the data, I'm sure. But when you start right. looking at some of these mass shootings, the vast majority of them, there were red flags everywhere before these things happened, and it's usually in the mental health realm. Uh, right. Why do you think they're so uh, reticent to talk about that? Uh, uh, look, uh, more than half of the mass public shooters since the beginning of 1998 uh, through the end of last year uh, were actually seeing mental health care professionals uh, prior to their attack within like six months or so of their attack. The interesting thing, though, is that in not one single case did any of those mental health care professionals identify those individuals as a danger to themselves or others. You know, I have no problem with more resources, more help for uh, for mental health. Uh, the thing is, uh, there's a whole academic literature by psychiatrists and psychologists about their inability to go and identify these individuals as a danger. And there's a simple reason for that, <clears throat> and that is, uh, psychiatry and psychology are basically set up for people coming in who want to solve their problems. They pretty much assume that the people who are telling them these things are being honest. And and the problem is, unless you're a moron, uh, you're not going to go and tell one of these mental health care professionals that what you're planning on doing. So, for example, uh, the Buffalo mass murderer, uh, uh, he had been uh, a high school student uh previous about a year or so before uh he had his teacher had asked him what he was going to be doing over the summer he said he was going to go and find a school ha having summer classes shoot it up and then commit suicide well she was concerned she uh flagged him uh he had to go and see two mental health care professionals and he told them that look he was just joking it was a stupid joke he shouldn't have said it uh he's sorry that he said it and the mental health care professionals uh, took him at his word, and they said that he was fine. Um, you take something like the Santa Barbara mass murder. Um, he was actually seeing three mental health care professionals uh, prior to his attack. Uh, one of them uh, was an internationally recognized expert on childhood violence, uh, the head of psychiatric services at uh, uh, Los Angeles Children's Hospital. Um, and in his diary, uh, the Santa Barbara mass murder uh, kind of bragged. He said, look, you know, all I have to do is tell them that I'm fine, that I'm not going to be doing anything. I have no violent thoughts or anything. And they just accept that. Uh, he just found it amazing how easy it was to go and fool these people. Uh, my bottom line is this, and that is, if you're not able to go and identify these individuals beforehand, what's your backup plan? And the notion of going and creating gun-free zones simply isn't a serious backup plan. I mean, I understand the motivation behind it, but the problem is, is that all those gun-free zo zones do is ensure 
that the only person that's going to have a gun is going to be the mass murderer there. You know, take something like the Covenant school shooting from last year uh, if, in Tennessee. If you or I were to vi violate the Gun-Free School Zone Act in Tennessee there, uh, it's up to six years in prison. That's a real penalty for you or I. Our lives would be completely changed if we were in jail for six years. But take the murderer in that case, who, by the way, uh, had had an original primary target, a mall, but when they realized that they would allow people with guns there who could stop them, they went after the school because they believed that nobody would be there in order to stop them. And so let's say that murderer had lived. The murderer killed six people. Obviously, they were killed at the scene themselves, but let's say that they had lived. They'd be facing six life sentences or six death penalties. Is anybody going to seriously say that, well, you know, they could live with six life sentences, but you take away six years from their seventh life, and that would be, that would push them over the margin. That would just be too much of a penalty. That would keep them from going and doing the attack. Instead, what you see, anybody who reads the diaries and manifestos from these mass murders and the media just refuses, absolutely just refuses to go and mention why these mass murders explicitly explain why they pick the targets that they do. Um, you know, it's clear they, they their goal is to commit suicide, but they want to get media coverage. And they know the more people they kill, the more media coverage that they can get. And so whether it's the Buffalo mass murderer or the Covenant school shooter or many others that are out there, they want to go to a place where they know their victims are defenseless because they know that's going to allow them to go and kill more people and allow them to get more media attention. They may be crazy in some sense, but they're not stupid. Their goal is yeah. to get media coverage. And unfortunately, the media uh, gives them massive amounts of coverage. You'll frequently see in their diaries and manifestos, they'll say, if I can only kill more people than such and such did, I can get even more media attention. Or they'll say, at least my name will go down in the history books. And, uh, you know, these are people who are depressed. They feel unappreciated. Um, uh, you know, look, but I do want to say one other point, and that is uh, there are red flags in many of these cases. You take, like, uh, the Parkland school shooter. The sheriff's department was called out to his home, like, 46 times. He had broken his mom's jaw, knocked out her teeth, sent her to the hospital, uh, and yet they refused to arrest the guy. Uh, you had the school there. Uh, teachers and staff had put uh, had flagged him for concerns, but because of the Obama administration policy there to kind of, quote, break the pipeline from school to prison, since he was a minority, uh, refused to... Uh, you know, basically give him the type of uh, examination and treatment that he needed. Um, and you see that in many other cases, too. But but there's one final point, and that is, you know, uh, these red flag laws, uh, these red flags often become more obvious in retrospect than they are at the time. So many people say, well, you know, that was a little bit odd, but... Um, you know, it's easy to do Monday morning quarterbacking on a lot of these things. And, uh, you know, people at the time, nobody wants something bad to happen. But 
These are sufficiently rare events. If you look over the period from 1998 through uh, the end of last year, and you're talking about a mass public shooting where four or more people are killed, not part of some other type of crime like a gang fight over drug turf or a robbery, you're talking about between one and eight of those occurring in any given year in the entire United States. And on average, it's a little bit over three. And so, you know, these are still, uh, you know, I, I realize because of the news coverage and because of gun control groups like the Gun Violence Archive, which claims we have like 600 or whatever of these occur each year, uh, those their cases are overwhelmingly gang fights over drug turf or robberies not the types of cases that we're talking about here. Uh, you know, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's sufficiently rare that it's kind of understandable that, you know, a lot of things that may seem that they should have been given a lot of weight afterwards weren't given weight at the time. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up, John, because there's a great re a great article up there at crimeresearch.org that I would like to encourage everybody to go check out updated information on mass public shootings from 1998 through October 2023. You can really learn a lot about the way the narrative is crafted with poor statistics and bunk statistics and changing definitions for things like what a mass shooting actually is. It's pretty staggering when you start going through the numbers. Um, and you guys have done a great job of that over there. Um, also wanted to recommend the defensive gun uses by people legally carrying guns, uh, 25 cases during October of 2023. These are great places to get started if you're new uh, to the topic, but I doubt that you are if you're watching this show, but it's a great place to keep up with John and his colleagues' research um, and follow on x.com, John R. Lott, J.R., and at Crime Research one uh, so get on over there and follow. Um, Mr. Lott, thank you so much for everything that you do. And thank you for joining us here on State of the Nation. We'll look forward to having you back on again real soon. This is today's News Talk TNT. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. So I've got to ask myself, who am I going to believe? What I'm being told or my lying eyes? Well, of course, we had the big Tonga volcano go off a couple of years ago, and it actually blew a lot of water vapor into the air. But there's a whole bunch of volcanoes underwater in the Ring of Fire, which is to the east of Australia. Over the last month, there has been a phenomenal warming of the ocean temperatures to the east of Australia. This cannot be because of CO2. It can't be because of solar cycles. What could possibly be causing that to happen? This is so extreme because we're supposed to be in an El Nino, and in El Nino seasons, the water is supposed to be cold to the east of Australia. And yet we see this rapid warming. Now, I've become a bit of an outcast because of my stance on underwater volcanic activity. I've joined a merry group of people who seem to think the same as me, but nobody wants to give us a time of the day. In any case, if you take a look at what's actually going on, you have to ask yourself, well, if it isn't CO2, if it isn't the sun, what is it? This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. I'm Naheem Hines, professional football player and proud supporter of the Muscular Dystrophy Association. My mom was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy when I was 14, and I watched her struggle. 
but MDA helped her get the best treatments and care. And they also help kids like my buddy Ethan. My name is Ethan and I'm 12 years old. Thanks to the Muscular Dystrophy Association and people like you, I have more hope than ever before. From day one, they've treated me like family at my local care center. MDA is the only one that funds over 150 care centers across the U.S. to help provide state-of-the-art care for adults and kids like me. For over 70 years, MDA has been transforming the lives of people living with muscular dystrophy, ALS, and other related neuromuscular diseases. They fund the research for breakthrough treatments, care, and cures. And MDA provides support to thousands of families like mine and Ethan's in communities like yours. Thanks to MDA, kids and adults can live life to its fullest. Join us and learn more at MDA.org today. Critically analyzing national affairs. This is State of the Nation on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Yeah, mythology. The mythology of a generation is something that helps hold the fabric of a society together. And it has throughout history. We used to hear stories by campfires. Well, here we are in the technocratic 21st century. We're losing all traces of not only mythology, but our own history at the same time. These things that bring us context and understanding of good and evil, right and wrong, life and death, love and hate, beauty and tragedy. Our mythology is slowly being replaced by identity politics, social justice memes, indoctrination, racism, hatred, human degradation, and self-deprecation. In the 70s and 80s, however, George Lucas appeared on the scene with the Star Wars universe, largely crafted in the style of a traditional hero's journey well outlined by Joseph Campbell in his works, if you've read them. Sadly, when Disney bought Star Wars, the franchise is no longer framed around a hero's journey, but by the aforementioned social justice, DEI, and it's lost any semblance of modern mythology minus maybe a few John Favreau productions, some might argue. Um, it's simply now a postmodern, post-truth, 21st century dumpster fire of toxic cultural rubbish. And joining us now to discuss is one of our Hollywood insiders and today's culture, cultural correspondent for culture jamming and an advocate for a return of true forms of expression. He's a creative director, a director of photography, an author. He's worked on documentary films. He's got over 24 years experience in the industry. Musician, philosopher, commentator, podcaster, live streamer, longtime friend of Hunter S. Thompson, canceled by Hollywood and Portland for his stance against wokeism. Corey Drayton joins us now. Corey, what's the latest in the Star Wars verse under Bob Iger and Disney? Guys, it's so good to be back with you. So I've got uh, quite a few things to report on. Um, you might recall that on one of our previous segments in TNT, you talked about this gentleman named Nelson Peltz, who's this kind of activist investor who's using his financial acumen to bring Disney back from going over the cliff of woke. Uh, and I'm happy to report that um, as of this week, Mr. Peltz, through his firm Tryon Fund Management, now holds shares in Disney worth some $2.5 So that's around 10% of Disney stock. He's now become the majority shareholder, beating out both Vanguard, who own about 8% of the Disney shares, and BlackRock, who own 6.6% of Disney shares. So um, that is definitely good news. Um, I wouldn't get too comfortable just yet. There's still a few moves that need to be made. But he's been demanding seats on the Disney Board of Directors now for quite some time. Uh, he should be entitled to one to two seats on the board. And Disney are digging in their heels and saying no 
But uh, I don't know how long that's going to last, considering his now majority share. Wow. <laughs> that's good that's to amazing. know, though, that somebody yeah. that's non-woke is saying, you know what, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is, because everybody knows the uh, the house of the mouse is in trouble. Park attendance is down. Uh, but what's even more troubling for them is their movies are tanking. I mean, they're just absolutely tanking. Their, their shows and their Disney Channel uh, Disney Plus platform tanking. Uh, at, at some point, you got to think maybe we should abandon this. Maybe this is a good. Maybe this sounded good in the boardroom, but it's playing out pretty horribly in the real world. And this guy seems to notice that. Uh, Charlie, what what's going on with Iger and the rest of the wokeistas there at the the House of Mouse? Well, there's a, there's a saying online. Um, the uh, they they say uh, what is it? Go woke. Uh, Uh, get woke, go broke, even. I disagree with that. I think it's the other way around. I think go broke, get woke is actually how it works. And you've just got a situation here where um, Disney have doubled and tripled and quadrupled down on the most milquetoast, mediocre content. They're not really making cinema anymore. They're making content. They're trying to keep this churn of drama um, going so that they can bring in audiences who not norm who wouldn't normally be attracted to some of Disney's properties, uh, for instance, uh, Marvel Studios uh, and um, Star Wars, and to a lesser extent, Indiana Jones. You would think that uh, they would be looking at their box office returns and saying maybe it's time to go to Plan D or E. Um, if you look at the the flops uh, that Disney have been behind over the last year, I mean, they've lost one billion dollars on uh, these high-profile props. For instance, The Little Mermaid, The Marvels, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, uh, which is the first Indiana Jones ever to have a negative box office return. Uh, It just keeps going and going, and yet they keep doubling down. They have lost so much cultural share that the two films that managed to overtake Disney uh, as the highest grossing studio at the box office for the first time since 2015 were made by their two biggest rivals, Warner Brothers with Barbie, and Universal with Oppenheimer. Those two films were cultural phenomenon that Disney cannot touch. Um, I think that at this point, and you know, Iger was brought back to rescue Disney from previous disastrous business decisions. I think at this point, they're only making movies for this echo chamber audience that they think that they've created. They think that if they can continue to churn out content that brings in this activist audience, they can create and corner a market that sadly does not exist. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and Corey, how interesting is it that Star Wars itself, the original, you know, three movies became such a cultural phenomena um, to multiple generations that there is this, you know, like nerdrotic and, you know, all these other um, YouTubers, influencers, if you will, that just understand politics, understand culture, understand what Iger and company are doing to these properties that they grew up on and love and appreciate. I mean, I would think a, a lot of prop, you know, like Little Mermaid, there's not like a fervent Little Mermaid. Well, I guess maybe there is, but it's not near the same size as like the Star Wars geeks out there, the geeks and gamers, if you will. Shout out to geeks and gamers there. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that that are calling this out, have been calling it out all along and, you know, giving platform to people that have been, um, you know, canceled by Disney 
like the former UFC uh, gal there that was on the uh, Mandalorian show, for example, they've made big cultural statements about what's going on and they tie it, you know, they do what we're doing. They tie it into current politics, current, you know, uh, culture jamming and call it out for what it is. How big of a role do you think that has played in sort of the decline of uh, contemporary Disney? Well, it's interesting. Uh, Disney definitely seemed to be aware of the existence of geeks and gamers. Um, there's a guy named um, uh, Overlord DVD or Addictive Van Doomcock who's got a, a massive following on YouTube. Disney have created this cottage, cottage industry of pop culture commentators uh, who have uh, done very well for themselves, picking apart Disney's business mistakes and uh, the cultural vandalism, a term coined by Doomcock that I absolutely love uh, to describe what's going on in the studios. Um, so I, I do think that they're they're aware of the existence of this cottage industry because they've referenced it in some of their projects. Um, I think it was uh, an episode of She-Hulk uh, that featured a villain who was uh, running around uh, in a mask and an underground base modeled very much on the style of Doomcock. So people like us and people like Geeks and Gamers, people like Nerd Roddick are definitely getting under the skin of the studio execs. Um, but the, the, that doesn't yet seem to be translating into uh, the storytelling. Uh, it doesn't seem to be translating into the writer's room uh, in a way that's actually shifting the content back towards the universal appeal that you think would be uh, motivating everything that they're creating. I mean, after all, you mentioned Star Wars. I mean, yeah, we're, we're old enough to remember a time when there were only three Star Wars films. And... Um, the universal appeal of that universe is something that transcended every single cultural divide, every single social divide. People could get behind the universal hero's journey messaging of those films. Why not go back to that? Why not make content that appeals for everyone, appeals to everyone, excuse me, uh, and thereby increase your profits and make entire generations um, out there come to you for more stories that reflect their universal values. There seems to be a disconnect in that understanding. Uh, you know, that's strange, Corey, that you would say there's a disconnect there because it would, it would seem that if you were, you know, one of the, one of the penny counters there at Disney, you would know exactly why, who your audience is. You would know exactly who your core audience is. What, what, who made you, a uh, basically such an iconic American brand. Forget just the movies. I mean, just Disney. Everybody knows what Disney is, and they've seemingly lost sight of this audience. And it, it's not only it lost sight of them. I think you said it when on one of your answers to me. You said, "Well, they're they're trying to create, I guess, an audience that isn't there. This woke." And, you know, DEI crap. It's like, nobody wants to see that. When I go to a movie, I like, for example, you mentioned Barbie. I went and saw, I saw Barbie with my wife because she wanted to see it. I didn't want to see it. 20 minutes into the movie, I knew exactly why I didn't want to see it because I was the villain in the movie, even though I was paid to see the damn movie. But as a white male, I was attacked for it. Seems kind of silly, but that's what Disney is doing to everybody that, bucks their woke agenda and they're like well we'll just keep shoving it down their throats and hopefully build an audience that doesn't seem like a very wise business move 
No, it absolutely does not. And um, certainly there are examples of people trying to pretend that somehow Disney is the victim of what's occurred here. The Guardian uh, recently, well, the spin doctors at The Guardian, I should say, recently reported that um, in their view, Disney was sucked into the American culture war. No, Disney inserted themselves into the American culture war. They decided that they were going to pick a side. They were going to back wokeness. They were going to back D-I-E, and I call it die for a reason. I'm sure you guys know exactly why. Um, they decided that that was uh, the audience that they wanted to appeal to, that that was a growing sensibility amongst the youth and that these people somehow have the disposable income to go watch their overpriced films and buy their overpriced products. Uh, that has not turned out to be the case. I don't know if you guys have gone uh, and walked through a, a toy section recently uh, at a local store, but you will not see any Star Wars toys on the shelves. Um, that is absolutely unprecedented and unheard of. This is a massive brand that's being devalued by this obsession with badgering the very people who propped it up for so long and by alienating everyone who used to love this brand. Star Wars has actually become a D-list brand. I never thought I would see that happen in my lifetime. Uh, a good friend of ours, Bazelet Analyzer, um, I think a while back at a Boiler Room show we were doing, he coined a phrase, aesthetic terrorism. And I think that applies because I think what's happened is it's kind of like the, I look at Kathleen Kennedy, who's um, the president of Lucasfilm, owned by Disney, and she kind of reminds me of that kind of annoying girl down the street who used to steal your toys, right? And then she would kind of make up her own stories to sort of undermine the coolness of your toys when you were a kid. But she has billions of dollars at her disposal. So she's doing that at a mass scale. But she's aesthetically upset, not at the policies of the people she opposes, but at the people themselves. And that's what this is. This is an aesthetic battle that's being played out with billions of dollars at a mass cultural scale. That's how I see it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it, you know, it has nudged culture. You know, it may not have nudged and created that that audience that you guys are talking about that they hope to create that woke audience. They hope would just, you know, the field of woke dreams, I guess, sort of metaphor. Uh, but it's just not there. It's not happening now. Um, Corey. What about, uh, we got about a minute and a half left here. Um, talk to us a little bit about this uh, this movie, Ray. It's my understanding that uh, the director, Charmin Obayad Chinoy, has maybe been fired. And there's also some Guardians of the Galaxy uh, hubbub. I mean, uh, if you can throw that into 90 seconds or so, we'd love to hear that update as well. Absolutely. So those uh, rumors are flying around. Uh, it was, I think, Thor Skywalker, who's one of the cultural commentators in YouTube, was reporting that Shamino Bey Chinoy uh, has been let go for the project. Those rumors are unverified. However, I will say this. It wouldn't surprise me if she has been let go because she's an activist director who's never directed a feature film before. She's only done documentaries. That's a very different skill set. So she's actually unqualified to direct a uh, feature film a uh, future Star Wars film or a future film of any kind. Uh, she doesn't have uh, the experience of budgets and production uh, at that scale. So it'll be very interesting to see how that story develops. Um, the, I think that, you know, the last thing I would say to sum it all up is, you know, those of us in the new counterculture need to understand we have an opportunity to win hearts and minds by taking these properties back. Uh, spreadsheets and balance sheets don't win hearts and minds, stories do. And that's where our focus should be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Corey Drayton, I really want to thank you for everything you do and your reporting and your work. Uh, and I want to recommend that people check out the book, 
uh, the Invisible Machine. Definitely check that out. We've talked with Corey about that endeavor here on State of the Nation before. Hope all your endeavors are going well, Corey, and continue to throughout the year. We really appreciate you taking the time. We know you're a busy gentleman out there. So it was great to have you here on State of the Nation to close this week down. And breaking news before we go, Donald Trump must pay E. Jean Carroll $83.3 million in the defamation case. This is breaking news. Just hit my screen while we were talking to Corey there. So. Wow. All right. This has been State of the Nation. Great to be with you. Stay tuned for Misty Winston right here on today's News Talk TNT.